It is a pleasure to see you all. How glorious it is to worship our Lord together. So a few announcements before we get into the message today. Uh, there is a new bulletin. It's, it may look a little different because uh, the cover sheet has been changed just to one piece of paper. But uh, so there's a church barbecue on 17 March, and it'll be kind of a send-off for the graves as uh, Silas and Tina will be heading back to the States. So come on out for that. That should be a good time to fellowship together. Uh, Joan and Karen, they'll be leaving on 20 March to go to Uganda. Oh, 10th, sorry. I was reading this. Yeah, it's kind of wrong, apparently. I was just going off these notes here. So anyway, the 10th, on the 10th, they will be leaving. So please keep them in your prayers and, uh, yeah, and the people that they'll be ministering to, that their transport will go smoothly and that the Lord will provide for all their needs. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that you are gracious to us, that you provide opportunities for us to serve you both uh, at home in the church fellowship with our neighbors and friends, and also as far as Uganda and beyond, that you have great plans and you're able to accomplish them. And thank you for including us in your plans eternally, that we have a home in heaven, but also an abundant life now, that we can enjoy peace and love and fulfillment by your grace. Thank you, Lord, for my brothers and sisters here today, those who are assembling to hear your word all across Australia and the world. Lord, we just come before you. You are God, and you are holy, and we worship you. And we ask that you would speak to us through your word today and empower us to do as you say in Jesus' name. Amen. So Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 17, is where we'll be. People love to see before and after photos. Uh, I usually forget to take before photos because I'm so like intent on getting stuck into something that I'm halfway done before I realize I never took a picture of what this used to look like. But, uh, you know, you've seen the, the infomercials of the before and after the Bowflex, you know, kind of tubby and then really ripped, these specimens. And uh, TV renos, they, they focus on these dilapidated structures that are now built, these cu custom modern uh, dwellings, and, and they'll show the before and then the reveal and how different it is and how much better it is. And, uh, they have, you know, the weight loss shows where people get on and they, they lose weight and there's this reveal of what they used to weigh, how they used to look, and now look at the difference. And, and there's something about looking back and remembering about how things used to be that gives us great joy in, in knowing how things are now, how things have improved for the better. And we enjoy seeing the fruit of our labor. We like seeing that our efforts are doing something that's going to be good and positive and and be proud of a job well done. And that's kind of what's happening throughout this passage, uh, will happen in the, today's passage, is Paul has spent a lot of time talking about who we are in Christ, our position in Christ, who he has called us to be, how he's equipped us, the blessings he's provided. And in chapter 4, he begins to talk about, well, now that you've been made holy, now that you've been changed on the inside, this is what it should look like. These are some ways that it will express itself. This transformation that Jesus has done in your hearts will be shown in these ways. The old man used to live like this. The old man used to think this way. We're supposed to put that off and put on the new man who's created in Christ after holiness and righteousness. So for us visual learners, it's very helpful. So we can say, well, this is how, yes, how I am naturally, but this is how God intends me to be. 
And instead of when we think back about how we used to be, because really you're the same person in a sense, but instead of feeling proud about how far we've come, we should really be humbled that God would love us so much when we still have so far to go. Right? That he, he has been so faithful, he's been so patient, and I haven't arrived to perfection yet, but God is moving me on that trajectory by his grace. So we'll be in Ephesians 4, starting in verse 17. It says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who, being past feeling, have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness." Paul's been telling us that the church, the body of Christ, we're all believers in him, those who have been born again. We've been made as a member of the body of Christ. Jesus is the head, that he's called apostles and prophets, uh, evangelists, pastors, teachers for the work of the ministry to see the church strengthened and built up, that we should mature as we walk in love and as we're instructed in the word, as we walk in faith, as we're governed by the love of God, that's that ligament of perfection that binds us together, um, we're no longer to walk like unsaved people, to keep thinking in those old patterns, in those old ways that we used to deal with problems and struggles. And he's going to put this picture before us of the life before Christ and how we should be affected by Christ's life in us. It says that those without Christ, they walk in the futility of their mind. And when we read this description, we shouldn't feel a sense of pride that, oh, that, those people. Because really, it, it's us. That's who we are in, in our natural state. We were once blind in the dark. We didn't know where we were going. We didn't realize we were heading to destruction. We were doomed. We were slaves of sin. We were once, it says, alienated from the life of God. We were numb. We were alone without hope. And our ignorance, our blindness, it made us numb to the damage that sin was doing because we were past feeling. And the more we fed our lusts, the hungrier we became. We were lost in darkness and we were given over to all these sins, uncleanness and greed. It was about us. Romans 1, it paints a bleak, a bleak picture of lives given to sin, deception and bondage that leads to death. That's naturally endemic in all people. David Guzik, he makes a good observation. He says, there's a constant tendency for Christians to display to the world that we really aren't so different after all. This is usually a misguided effort to gain the world respect or approval. This must be resisted at all costs because the goal in itself is both undesirable and unachievable. We're not Christians because we go to church. We're not Christians because we avoid sinful or destructive practices or even try to do what pleases God. We can do that apart from God, right? We can try to do good. You don't have to be a Christian to try to be a better person. It's not that we have something that the world doesn't so much, but we are different because of who Jesus has made us through the gospel, through faith in him. We've been transformed through trusting in Christ into a new creation. It says that all things have become new. And so it's not a, a belief system or a moral compass, but a relationship with the living God that the world cannot know until they too are born again. 
It's like talking about having kids before you've actually had kids. And you, I don't know if I've, maybe I have met some parental experts who never had a child. And they know exactly what you should do with your troubled teen, right? They have a lot of opinions about the right way to do things. And even after you have a kid, you might think that all other kids will respond the same way as your own. And so you just put it out there like, oh, you need to do this. They need to do this. Um, you won't understand it fully until you experience it as a child of God. It's said that people are creatures of habit, but when you've been made new with the Holy Spirit, the power of God within you is greater than any, any sort of um, habit or willpower that we can muster because he makes us new. Before Christ, we used to drown our sorrows, maybe in alcohol, self-medicate. But now that we have Christ, we can approach those feelings of sorrow and despair in a totally different way because of Christ in us. In the dark, we didn't know a better way. We did what came naturally. We did what could alleviate our suffering. But even that only brought death. It was heading that direction. And because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, we can now choose to listen to his voice and his word rather than the negative self-talk or the condemning voice of Satan, our accuser, who has nothing good to say to us that builds us up at all, where we're just down and lower and lower. Knowing that we were headed to an eternity in hell, but now we've received and are walking in the eternal life that Jesus has given us, it changes our perspective. And we can have joy, which is a fruit of the Spirit. Now, when you read this as a believer and you go, wow, I, I see a little bit of myself today here, we, we can feel a, a bit guilty. But Paul's not writing this to load you down with guilt because you're not measuring up. Like a professional athlete, we need to be drilled on the fundamentals because it's mastery of the fundamentals that enables you to play at a high level. And we need these reminders all the time. When you boil down most sports, the object is pretty simple, right? It's like pass the ball, catch the ball, kick the ball into the goal. Ten-pin bowling, it doesn't really get much simpler. You stand behind a line, and you roll a ball, and you try to knock all the pins down. That's it. Now, the trick is actually doing it, right? You know I'm supposed to knock all those down, and then gutter ball. Ugh, I hate this game. It's so hard. For years, I bowled in a league, and I would become frustrated. I was actually more frustrated because I had a level of skill and knowledge. It was the knowledge that I had, and because I used to go and bowl just with the family, and it was fun. It was great. But once I started actually learning how to bowl, and I started getting better, I became frustrated at it because I kept screwing up. I kept making mistakes. And I was like, man, I know what I should do, but I just am not able to execute it. And if you've ever bowled, you know that the the oil that they put on the lanes as you bowl, it starts to move, it starts to change. So the, the lane conditions while you're bowling begins to change and that makes it tough. And I'd be like, oh, I should be able to adjust, but I couldn't. What helped me push through those slumps and through my bad form and my bad performance was knowing that it was a good challenge and it was a fun game to play with friends. Like, hey, this is a game, right? Come back to the basics. I am taking this way too seriously. I'm thinking I should be way better than I actually am. I'm just not that great. I try. 
God never promised us that Christianity and following Jesus would be easy or fun. It is satisfying. It is joyful. It's ultimate rewarding. It is the best fun you can have as a human being to know God and to follow Jesus. And I pray as we read this that they would be kind of a light bulb moment for us where we go, oh yeah, I'm kind of dealing with issues the way I used to or the way the old man does, not according to how Jesus has promised and what he's given me. I've been blind in the dark instead of listening to Jesus and following his word. And we, we need something like this to help us recognize that. Verse 20, but you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness." So sin, deceit, greed, was that the way that led you to Jesus? No. Pursuing the lust of the flesh did not lead us to Christ. The way, that way was leading to death. It was leading to destruction. Jesus, he's the way we're to follow now because we're children of him. We learn of Christ by the scriptures, by hearing the word. That's how we've, been, we've heard him and been taught by him. Growing up, I, if I didn't have the Bible, based on how some Christians spoke, I would have imagined Jesus saying something like this, that God loves me and has a wonderful plan for my life. That's kind of what I would have thought Jesus said, but Jesus never said that. He did speak about God's love. He did speak about God's authority, but more than any person in Scripture, Jesus preached repentance. If you look at repentance or repent, Jesus speaks by far the most about it of anyone in the Bible. Putting off the former sinful conduct, not just to unbelievers, mind you, but in five of the seven churches that Jesus spoke to in Revelation, he says, repent over and over and over to Christians, to churches. When, G when Jesus was... Uh, teaching, there was a woman brought to him in the act of adultery. And after her accusers left, Jesus said, go and sin no more. That's really repentance in a nutshell. It's, it's agreement with God that I have been wrong. I have been in sin. And then it's deciding that I'm going to do things God's way to turn from the sin. So it's a change of mind that results in a change of behavior and choices to turn from evil, not just turn from evil, but to do good. And that's the part of repentance that's so important. It's not just to stop doing the bad thing, but to start doing the right thing, the thing that God's commanded us. Second to Jesus, it was his disciples that preached repentance. It was a cool little study. So in Christ, we're called to put off the old sinful conduct, the deceitful lust that used to mark our lives, that used to drive us as unbelievers, but now we're to to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. That's something that we can't do in the flesh. By effort, we must be born again. Lusts, they are deceitful because they promise satisfaction they can never deliver. It's like the more we stuff ourselves, the more empty we become. The more we seek after the things of the world, the more we're corrupted within. This abundant life, it begins when we're born again, putting off the old man, 
renewing of the spirit of our mind. We are given new hearts, and then we put on the new man. And Jesus is not like an addition to your life. He will give you a new life in him. So he's not like a food additive. He's not, you have this main dish, and you're like, oh, it needs a little salt. No, my life needs a little flavor. How about some Jesus in my life? I'll just add this, and it'll spice things up. It'll make it more palatable, make life a bit easier. No, Jesus is our life. So it's like that whole way of living, that whole thing we were into eating. That's now not part of your life anymore because now Jesus is in you. Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Knowledge of God's love for us, it moves us to love him and to obey him in faith. Because in Christ, now we've gone from being alienated from God in the dark to being in his marvelous light. He's given us his word, which is a light to our feet, a lamp to our path. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, one thing that's not immediately made new, as you have discovered, is this old body that we're living in. That is corruption. It's corrupted and heading towards the end, right? We have a shelf life. That's why we have to keep putting off the old man, because as long as we're living in this body, the old man, the old way of thinking and living can come to the surface again. There can be something that provokes that rage in you, like you used to have a temper. But now, as a Christian, you don't have to lose your temper, but we still can, right? It's kind of like your house, right? Let's say it's had an infestation of rats and mice. An exterminator came, patched up all the holes, trapped all the critters, and carried them off. Now, if you awoke about a month later to hearing a conga line and squeaking up, that's this party going on above your head, it would be silly to think the problem's taken care of, the pros came, it's all fine. They couldn't possibly be back. Could they be back? Yeah, they certainly can. Now, your house, it's your house. But there can be critters that get in there and stink and cause problems, and you have to take action. You could just roll over and go to sleep and just not investigate. As long as we live in these bodies, we'll be tempted to sin, and when we sin, to act like nothing bad has happened and that all is well. That's the reality. As long as we're living in these bodies, that is a potential that you could sin, and it's so natural to your flesh that you don't even realize it. Verse 24, it says, The new man is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness, and like shoes, the old man has to be taken off before the new man can be put on. Have you ever tried to put on shoes when you were wearing shoes? Try it. I want to see a video of this struggle because you're not going to be able to do it. And I think we can be really frustrated as Christians because we can have this order reversed. We're trying to put on the new man. We're trying to do things God that he wants us to do, but we haven't put off the old man. And so we're not able to, and it's frustrating and it's tiring and we just give up. So the old man, it has to go. 
Remember, that old man has been crucified with Christ. It's now Christ in you. So if you say, I can't, true, you can't. But now Jesus lives in you. So it's him in you, not on your own strength, your own flesh. So off with the old, on with the new. And so we see some things to put away and what to do. Verse 25, therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Jesus taught the things we say, it indicates what's going on in our hearts. Even as trees are known by their fruit, I know that's a peach tree because there's peaches on it. So I don't have to to know its Latin name, to realize that's a peach tree, right? I can know that, really, because I can taste it, or a plum tree, or whatever. Your words tell a story about you. Your words say something about what's going on inside. If there's cursing coming out of our mouth, guess what's in your heart? There's cursing in there, and so we have to repent of that. If we're, practic- if we're lying through deceit or exaggeration, if we're slandering, gossiping, cursing, bragging, threatening, it reveals a heart that is sinning. And since we're created according to God, who is in true righteousness and holiness, that's not to mark our life anymore. Our yes should be yes, our no should be no, and God's motive for speaking to us is love, and that's what should be motivating us as we speak to others. Not to browbeat or humiliate or out of spite. It's love that's to guide when I'm correcting someone or when I'm receiving correction. So having cast off lying, we're to speak truth and love knowing that it says we are members of one another. A healthy body is not going to lie to itself. Your eyes, they see the pot. Your hand reaches out to touch the pot and you realize, whoa, that's hot. So there's this message that goes through your nerves. So the hand stops touching the pot. The body is all speaking. You know, you eat some food and, oh, that, I don't feel well. So the mouth needs to stop eating that food, stop drinking that. Once I was in Cambodia and I, they, they would drill into these coconuts right off the tree and just stick a straw in it. I'm like, all right, I'll give that a go. And so I tried it and, you know, that, it's got a little bit of bite to it. It's not, I don't know if this is okay. And and I had, I had Kaz try it. I was like, Kaz, what do you think about this? She's like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> but anyway, so then my stomach started talking to me. So my mouth first said, something's a little off. And then my stomach just said, you're in trouble. <laughs> and so I stopped. I, I wasn't like, I need to finish this thing now. Or, no, no, the body was all talking to each other. So I said, that thing is no good. Like, oh, sorry, we gave you a bad one. Because we're members of one another, you've touched the hot pot, you've placed, you've just said, whoa, I'm not touching that. And you see someone else barehanded, ready to grab the thing, and you warn them, whoa, careful. You want to wear gloves when you carry that because it's really hot. Knowing that we're connected to Christ, knowing that we're members of one another, we're to speak truth with each other. We see someone uh, going into a trouble, we're to say something to them, to pray for them, to care for them. Verse 26 says, be angry and do not sin. God's given us anger for a good reason. Many of those emotions that we can have. Yet for us, it's difficult to be angry and impossible to remain angry without sin. 
The Bible says that God's very slow to anger, and his anger is always directed at rebellion for sin. If you could turn to Psalm 30, verses 4 and 5, see what it says of our God. There's one time mentioned in the Bible where Jesus was angry, and that's when there was the man with the withered hand, and everyone's just waiting and watching him like a hawk so they could accuse him. They didn't care about that man. And it said he was grieved in his heart with anger because they didn't care about the man. They just wanted to attack Jesus. And so then he healed that man, and then they sought to how they could kill him. That grieved him. He didn't hold on to that anger, though, as we'll see here. Psalm 30, verse 4 and 5. Sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment. His favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Our anger is almost always rooted in self. Uh, it flares up with an outburst. It can be a slow burn that seethes and settles into bitterness. We're told not to allow the sun to set on our wrath, but to respond in a biblical manner with repentance. If we do give a place to anger, if we do remain angry without forgiving, without casting our cares upon the Lord because he cares for us, it says in verse 27, we give place to the devil. It's kind of like you, have, you know that the rats are coming in through this area of your, your wall, but you leave it wide open. And you sprinkle a little food there as well. <laughs> you know, you're, you're not helping yourself at all. Because anger can lead to a lot of other things. Think about Cain. He was angry. He killed his brother. Anger leads to a myriad of sins. So remaining angry, it's like an open invitation for the devil to intrude upon our thoughts, upon our hearts, and to... So discord really inside to lob those fiery darts from the inside at us. Unresolved anchor, it's like a breach in the wall that's unguarded of the city where the enemies can just come in during the night and it can create a stronghold and only Jesus can free us from this bondage. So we have to, just to admit that that's there. There is a place in my life that anger has been residing for some time. Jesus is able. Just like he drove out those money changers and those animals that had been kept there, he drove them out. Praise him for that. Back to Ephesians verse 28. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers. One thing I really love about God's word is when there's a prohibition, there's always the positive side of what to do. So to say, stop that, stop that, but do this. God just didn't stop with thou shall have no other gods before me, but he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Those are the things you are to do. I think it was preacher Edwin Orr, he spoke of a pickpocket who became a Christian. And he said something like, you know, back in the day, I used to steal 60 wallets on a good day. Now I'm just down to five. <laughs> I just kind of cut it off there. 
So he didn't get it. He didn't understand. Hey, now that you're in Christ, you, don't, you shouldn't be stealing at all. That's something you're to put out of your life, not just reduce it a bit and be satisfied there. We aren't called to sin a bit less, but to desire and labor to live sinless. That's really what we are to, that's God's desire for us. And we should aim for that. Are we perfect? No. Will we fail? Yes. But we can know what God's will is and he will empower us to do the things we don't have to be, uh, we're not slaves to sin anymore. We're not governed by that. We have Christ in us. Ceasing from stealing, that's only the beginning. Because see here, look, repentance, it's demonstrated when a person is working to earn a living, not only for his own benefit, but so that he can have something to give to others. Doesn't that take it up like a, a huge notch? So get that promotion, get that, raise understanding that God may have that cash dog-eared for somebody else that there's someone in need that you could be giving to now because he's given you a gift and you can pass that on and if you're out of work if you're retired God still has work for you which can be of greater value than money be about that thing do the thing that God has placed before you to do Jesus said to his, sub, his followers on the subject of not worrying, because when we don't know where the money's coming from, it's very easy to worry. He said in Matthew 6, 25 and 26, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Jesus didn't lay his life down for the birds. He laid his life down for sinners so that they could be saved, made new by his grace. Paul says we're to set a guard on our mouth that no corrupt word would proceed from it unchecked. That word corrupt, it means rotten or worthless. So the words we say, how we say them, why we say them, matters. Have you ever been impacted by some gossip or slander that you heard? As soon as you heard that story about someone else, it either it impacted the way that you saw that other person or the person who was speaking to you. It impacted you in some way. Careless speech, sledging, like even in good fun, a harsh tone. It has power to wound. It has power to corrupt others, to really hurt them. We can't control what other people say or what we happen to hear. Sometimes we're not looking for gossip and yet it comes to us, right? We hear something. But you have power through Christ to choose what you say, when you say it, and why you're saying it, and to be thinking about that. Instead of corrupt words that wound, we're to speak, it says, what is good for necessary edification. So edification being built and strengthened up in faith, that's a need we all have. It's a need that we receive, and it's a need that through us, the Lord will supply for others. Speaking the truth in love, it builds up, it strengthens in faith. Teaching, correction, rebuke, exhortation, encouragement, it results in edification, building something up. When you're doing a building project, who here has done a building project and there was not a setback or an unexpected delay or a problem? It just was 100% perfect. Man, I don't see any hands. How many people have said it's going to cost $2,000 and it costs $6,000? Yeah. 
Like, whoa, didn't expect that. We all, we all can identify with that. There will, we need correction, and it will happen through different ways. And it will edify, it will build us up. And if you're being built up, there's going to be setbacks. There's going to be unexpected things, like when you're doing repair work especially, on the surface, you, you don't know what's behind that gyp rock. There could be termites back there. There could be dry rot, mold, stuff that you didn't know was there. And that's really how it's like when God, he, we're born again, and he wants to make some renovations in us. There's some stuff in there we didn't know was there. And therefore, we have to commit to the process and say, Lord, I need to be sanctified. I, I want to labor towards this end that I would be holy and righteous by your grace. Put in some effort to see that accomplished, that the Lord's going to do it. So love, it's, it's like, a, you can look at it like divine fertilizer that promotes the health of the branches of the vine. Our words can be like salt and bleach. Ever, we once had a, our pool filter went, and it's a salt pool, and so the sand had been dumped into a planter box, and I tried planting something in there. Well, it was not really, the tree wasn't really happy, <laughs> let's just say. That soil, it needed to be amended, right? It had that salt content, now, the, it, it endured, but it wasn't thriving like, unlike the other plant, same kind that I planted in another part of the yard. Now, that one looks really happy. So I don't want to be speaking words that, that are tearing down, that are hindering people growing in faith. Verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, the pure and clean spirit of God through whom we've been born again. He indwells us, comforts us, leads us into all truth. He helps us. And the verse focuses here on the fact he has sealed us. That's like a permanent mark he's placed on us to identify us as children of God, that we're receivers of salvation through Christ. And the Holy Spirit, it can, he can be grieved. He can be made sad, just like Jesus is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And grief and love, there's a huge crossover between them. Because the more you love someone, the more you care about them when they're going through trouble. But you can turn on the news and you can hear about trouble and really not have much emotional connection at all because you're like, oh, yeah, tragedy, that's bad. But you don't think about, well, how does that affect the family? How does that affect how they're feeling, their marriage? We don't think about those things except if it's in people that we love. And Jesus, his love is boundless and infinite for all people, not willing that any should perish. And he was saddened. He wept. He reached his arms out and said, Man, I have called to you, and you didn't come. You were unwilling. And he wept over Jerusalem, the one that kills the prophets that are sent to her. Like, I've given you these voices and this truth so that you would hear it and turn from your sins. But you won't. And when Jesus himself was sent, they wouldn't hear him either. They rejected him. So he was grieved. It grieves the Holy Spirit when we sin when he's guiding us into all truth, but we ignore it to our detriment. And how, how can we grieve the Holy Spirit? The Enduring Word Commentary, there's a quote from C.H. Spurgeon. 
He says, he's grieved with us mainly for our own sakes, for he knows what misery sin will cost us. He grieves over us because he sees how much chastisement we incur and how much communion we lose. And then he is grieved because he sees that you love worldly things better than you love him. You remember the parable of the prodigal son. When the the prodigal demanded his inheritance, you know, give me the inheritance that's coming to me. And his dad gave him half of his goods. Do you suppose the father who loved the son was really glad that he not only demanded the money, took the money, but he left? No. I think his heart was broken. But when his son came back, penniless, dirty, smelly, and humbled, he ran to him. That's love who would embrace that son that betrayed him, that wasted his, his, his money and his, his inheritance on prostitutes and drink. And yet he loved his son. His grief didn't carry over when he returned. Jacob, when he heard that Joseph died, he refused comfort. All, his whole family rallied around him. He had 11 other sons, and they said, you know, Dad, we're here for you. And he's like, I, I don't want any of it. He refused all the comfort. But see, God's the one that comforts us when we come to him. He provides us comfort through the Spirit. Even though we've grieved him, he's the one who comforts us. He's redeemed us from sins of greed, lying, stealing, anger, evil speaking, and from the power of the devil for an abundant life marked by righteousness and holiness that we would speak the truth in love. We would walk in victory over Satan. We'd work with our hands to give to others. We would edify. See, God's not holding us back from any of these good things. We're the ones who refuse to trust him. We're the ones who refuse to obey him. We're the ones who, oppre- who are oppressed that he has set free because of our choices. Years ago, there was a man that came into a church I was serving at in the States, and he was really desperate to kick alcohol. He had just been released from prison, and he had been on a bender the night before. And I mean, he's covered with tattoos, neck, face. I think there was probably a swastika on there somewhere in full view. And uh, he's like, you know, alcohol is killing me. If I don't get off this stuff, I'm going to die. I am desperate for help. I said, well, I know of a place down the road where there's pastors and there's a support system. It's a year commitment. Oh, I'll do anything. I'll do anything to get off this stuff because my life's good for nothing right now. So I'll give you a ride. And so we drove to the edge of town. It was a little dicey because we had to drop by his house and pick up some things. And I'm thinking, are we, are we, am I being involved in like a robbery that I don't know about? Like, I don't know this guy from anyone. And I'm like driving around. He's like, yeah, yeah. He's really kind of a tough character. And I'm (laughs) a bit out of my depth. So we show up and we stop. I think he stopped wanted to stop for cigarettes on the way. and So we get there, and the pastor says, uh, oh, yeah, um, this is what it takes, and it's a free program, and we'll give you a job, and we'll give you a place to live, but you, there's a lot of Bible study, and you know, there's some things that you have to agree to. And the guy's like, oh, yeah, sign me up. I'm, I'm here. And he took out a cigarette, and the guy's like, oh, and by the way, when you commit to the program, no smoking either. He's like, whoa. Like he literally, Really? And he, he just lit them end to end as we were con- conversing. Um, and it grieved me because 
Here was help that the man desperately needed, he knew he needed. And yet the thing that that's, could be killing him, he refused to give up. Because he wasn't prepared to give that up. He was, he was ready to give away alcohol because he saw that as a problem. But he was unwilling to give up cigarettes. And I don't know how he turned out. But based upon his own words, if he kept drinking alcohol, he's going to be dead. And it was because he refused to give up something that was so important to him. And we can be like that. We can make those lame excuses and back away uncertain of this new life that God has for us. When it's a life of abundance, that's great. Like you can be free from all addiction, not just the addiction you see that's a problem, but the addiction to lashing out and the addiction to cursing and the addiction to uh, lust. That can be gone through Jesus. That's the life that he has for us. A life that's far better than the life you love so much now. Ephesians 4.31 Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. Paul doubles down on the things we're to put off. All bitterness, all indignant passions, wrathful anger, Clamor, that's an outcry or shouting. Blasphemous or evil speaking, and it says with all malice. He's saying everything, all that sinful stuff, it's got to go. Put it off. Malice, it has many forms. Webster's 1828 Dictionary it describes it as a disposition to harm others without cause, to injure others for personal gratification or from a spirit of revenge. That malice, it's to have no place in our lives, but it's natural for us to want to get back at some, to make others know how wrong they are. That's our natural disposition. Do you have some clothes hanging in the closet that you couldn't really wear if you tried? They're just there. They've been there for a long time. Um, they don't fit you, and, and maybe they don't fit you in another way. My dad had a jacket in his, his, uh, his closet. And we never saw him wear it. We thought it was cool because it had this embroidery on the back. We're like, what's with that jacket? He's like, you know, the man that used to wear that jacket is dead. That's a jacket I used to wear when I was unsaved. And I used to go up and I was part of a gang and I would just look for fights. That's, that's not my life anymore. And there was a point, finally, the jacket actually went too. And that's the thing is we can kind of put something aside. We can put it off, but it's still in the closet. And we have to get to a point where we're saying, you know what? I am not going to go back to that ever again. I'm not going to give it away. Now, the clothes that are in your closet that don't fit you, now those could be passed on to somebody else. But your anger and the hatred and the greed, that needs to go. You need to burn it. It's got to be gone. Like, I'm not putting that on anymore because the, we're still in the flesh. And those old things, they just we can slip them on. They're very comfortable. It's like you're comfortable around the house clothes. right? When I, when I leave on a Sunday... I'm, I go home and I put on shorts and a t-shirt, thongs, just kind of the, the casual clothes, right? Well, sin is our casual clothes. And I'm not saying that the life in Christ is uncomfortable, but that's just how we feel comfortable in those things. But praise the Lord, he gives us a spirit who convicts us and he says, there's something wrong in your heart. There's something wrong in what you just said. And not just don't do that again, but here's what you do. And he helps us. 
So having put off all these things, not just on a hanger, but getting rid of it, we're to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. And I like how the King James puts it. It says, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. The way we're to treat others is the way Jesus has treated us, not the way they've treated you. Because the kindness of Jesus toward us is far better and greater than any evil thing that has happened by the hands of others. Now, I don't say that to minimize any grief or wrongs that have occurred, but that we would respond to injustice, pains, and grief like Jesus did, as we'll see. Because we're going to take communion this morning together. Please turn to Luke chapter 23, verse 32. Luke 23, verse 32. When you think you've been through a lot, unjustly, we don't have to go any further than Jesus to realize that he has suffered the most cruel, inhumane injustice of all time, being completely righteous and holy, only walking in love. Knowing the wickedness that was in the hearts of people and yet showing grace and was slow to anger and compassionate. Jesus was betrayed by Judas. He was denied by Peter. He was forsaken by all the, the disciples. Now, Peter gets a bad rap uh, because he said, I I'm not going to deny you, Jesus. I'll die for you. And it says, and thus said all the disciples. But when it came to it, they all fled. They all fled. Jesus was arrested, falsely accused of blasphemy. He was stripped. He was scourged. He was beaten. He was mocked. Pontius Pilate knew Jesus was innocent. He knew that he had been delivered only because of envy. But because with a riot brewing and needing to maintain order, he released Barabbas. He caved to the mob and commanded that Jesus be crucified, though he had done nothing wrong. Luke 23, 32. There were also two criminals, two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him, and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. The clothing Jesus was wearing at that time, it said it was woven without seam, and they didn't want to tear it. And so after they had stripped him, they cast lots to see whose it would be because they didn't want to divide the garment. And this fulfilled scripture. The, the men who did not want to tear a piece of fabric thought nothing of nailing the hands and feet of Jesus to the cross. They had no problem to rip to shreds the skin of the Son of God. They cared for that clothes more than they cared for Jesus. This is the most cruel thing in the world that this would happen. Yet listening to Jesus, you would think he was in eternal glory, sitting with clean white robes, pristine in glory, not beaten beyond recognition, or covered in gore when he says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. He was only hours from death. You don't hear any threats. 
No vitriol. Love. The chief priests, the scribes, Pontius Pilate, the criminals, the soldiers, they knew very well what they were doing. They killed him, and they, they knew it. But what does Jesus say? They don't know what they're doing. Grace. Isn't that grace? Jesus knew that they knew that they, what they were doing. And he says, Lord, they don't know what they're doing. Please forgive them. What kindness what love God has that's past finding out that in this situation, he would only speak forth love and grace and kindness. How we should treasure this forgiveness that we should give to others as we have freely received. And I am I'm guilty of breathing out vengeance. I am guilty of breathing out a curse towards someone. Being angry over a petty, small thing instead of being tenderhearted and forgiving, like Jesus. So now is the time to repent. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of deliverance and redemption. There's great peace and hope through what Jesus has done. So it's time to put off the old man. And when we keep Jesus central to our gaze, and we realize all that he's accomplished, not only dying for us and forgiving us, but giving us new life, providing the Holy Spirit, a new way of thinking, a new way of relating to God through a relationship with him. Putting on the new man that's created after God in righteousness and holiness. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for sending Jesus to be our savior. For knowing the depths of our wickedness and how we were alienated from the, the grace of God by our own decisions, and yet you and your grace drew near, and you have shown yourself. You have given us your word, and you've given us a Savior in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Father, I pray that you would show us our need to repent, our need to be putting off that old man, being renewed in the spirit of our mind, and then putting on the new man, which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Thank you, Lord, that righteousness does not come through the works of the law, or trying our best, but through faith in Jesus. And thank you for the celebration and the time of somber remembrance now of Jesus' sacrifice and all he endured for us, that you've taken away our shame and our guilt and instead given us righteousness and holiness and acceptance. Thank you, Lord, for the gospel, for the good news that we don't have to hold on to what's killing us. We can surrender our lives to you. And may we do so, all of us as one, in Jesus' name, amen. So as the team leads us in a song, I invite all of you who have Jesus Christ as your savior to just come forward to take of the bread and the cup and return to your seats and we'll pray together um, and receive that. going to read a passage from Isaiah 53. 
saying of the Messiah, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Let's thank him. Father in heaven, thank you for sending Jesus to be our Savior, the Son of God, the Lamb of God, slain for the, from the foundations of the earth, that you have brought him as a Savior, to save sinners. Thank you, Lord, for loving us and for showing compassion on us, for sending light into the darkness when we were alienated from the life of God and every blessing. And by your wounds, we are healed. Thank you for the body of Jesus that was broken. Thank you for his blood that was shed. Thank you that through that blood, many nations have been sprinkled, many lives transformed, and your Holy Spirit has come into us and made us new. Thank you for the resurrection, that Jesus didn't remain in the tomb, but he rose in, in glory. And it's no longer us who live, but Jesus, our risen Lord, who lives in us and works through us. Lord, we remember the sacrifice of Jesus. We do so humbly and joyfully knowing that you are our healer, you are our provider, and the God above all. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's partake together.